every corner of our city, Boston has spoken. We are ready to meet this moment. We are ready to become a Boston for everyone. Michelle Wu said she is ready to meet this moment after being elected Boston's new mayor. Her victory seemed both improbable and somehow inexorable. The Chicago-born daughter of Taiwanese immigrants shattered multiple barriers in being elected the city's first woman mayor, first mayor of color, and first Asian-American mayor. But for all the shock that delivered to Boston's parochial ways, electing a Harvard-educated policy wonk who promised a city-level Green New Deal also seemed to meet the moment in a city that's been transformed by an influx of more educated, progressive-leaning residents. They seemed ready for a mayor who will fill potholes and chart a bold vision for change, which is the dual promise Wu made in her victory speech. So how did Michelle Wu pull off her landslide win, and what will she do with that electoral mandate for change? I'm Michael Jonas from Commonwealth Magazine, Helping us break down the new Wooniverse we're inhabiting are two reporters who covered the race closely. Yabu Miller is senior editor at the Bay State Banner. Thanks for joining us, Yabu. Thanks for having me, Mike. And Gin Dumptious is the managing editor of the Dorchester Reporter. Gin, uh, great to have you. Good to be here. Thanks. So, Gin, help us uh, understand sort of what just happened, the final election between Michelle Wu and Anissa Asabi-George two at-large Boston city councilors, wasn't even close in the end. Wu won by 28 points, and it really looked like it would be a blowout from the start. Uh, what happened? Well, I think I think we actually saw in pre, uh, the preliminary night, um, there was a poll that came out at 8 o'clock just, uh, just as the polls closed, and they had a head-to-head matchup of Wu and, and all the other uh, all the other candidates and and the one that Wu did best against was uh, Anissa Sabi George. Um, Anissa ran a, a you know she stayed she she had a lane in the in the preliminary that um, more or less evaporated in in uh, or she couldn't grow uh, the lane uh, in the in the final election. And I'll say this I've I've been kind of going back over my you know my first my first uh, time at the Dorchester Reporter. Uh, back in 2013, and and that was when Michelle Wu uh, launched her uh, uh, city council at large campaign. And you know, it's it's it was funny just to see how consistent she's been in her messaging and and you know bringing together a, an inclusive coalition. You know, talking about her her biography, but also about policies. And uh, you know, I, I know there's been a lot of talk uh, about how she's been planning this mayoral run for eight years, and I think there's some truth to that. But there's also a, a remarkable consistency for her over over the course of her political career. And I think you make a really good point that um, the election outcome was certainly, you know, it, the first first point being the credit to, to Wu and, and what she's represented, the campaign she ran um, and the appeal she had. But, you know, every race really comes down to a choice. And I think you're right that the opponent she ended up with in the final, Anissa Sabi George, was, as you say, the one that, that polls showed she would do best against. So that that had... Uh, certainly a big role in the outcome. And Yawu, talk a little about that dynamic and I guess also just how the electorate in the city has changed. You wrote recently a great piece uh, looking at some of those changes, how some of the kind of historically, you know, powerhouse voting sections of the city, uh, you know, Dorchester and South Boston, chief among them, which happen to be 
areas that uh, Anissa Sabi George really leaned on heavily, you know, have seen sort of a decrease in their in their clout in elections and and other shifts that have seen other neighborhoods kind of rise in in their voting power. Yeah, I mean, Boston's always had like a, a lot of immigration, a lot of people coming in, um, and particularly in the last like 20 or 30 years, uh, we've seen more immigrants, but also an infusion uh, more recently of, of tech workers, people in biotech, people in finance. Um, and as housing prices have gone up and the city's population has increased, it's forced out a lot of working class Bostonians. Um, I think a lot of people who've been focusing on the on displacement of long-term residents have been looking at Black and Latino residents, uh, many who've been moving to communities like Brockton or Randolph. Um, but it's also hit uh, in South Boston and in the white sections of Dorchester. It's hit those communities particularly hard. Um, and uh, I think what we saw really with Anissa's race is that even between 2013, when Marty Walsh depended on those same precincts in Dorchester and South Boston to make it into the, you know, make it through the preliminary. Um, and now, uh, you know, there, there are fewer voters so that, you know, th that those communities gave Anissa less of a, um, of an advantage. And then as Ginn pointed out, she, you know, she, she was in that lane and stayed in that lane, failed to, to break out of that where Marty was able to get the support of the um, Black and Latino candidates who ran against him in the mayoral preliminary, as well as, you know, uh, Black uh, elected officials. Um, Anissa was not. Yeah, that seems like, uh, you know, a huge difference, even though I was going to say, uh, you know, in, in some ways, I think Asabi George probably went into this thing thinking, you know, I'm going to run you know, I'm in the Marty Walsh mold. They grew up on the same street. They were close allies. Uh, you know, why shouldn't I be able to kind of run the same kind of uh, race and, and win just as he did only eight years ago? But there were a lot of things that shifted uh, within the city. And also certainly, again, back to this idea that every race is kind of a choice of two two options. And, and certainly Michelle Wu kind of was a diff very different candidate projecting a different background and appeal than John Conley was, even though, you know, there's always some overlap, but, but I think, uh, that, that was sort of, you know, not something that worked at all in Anissa's favor. I was just struck that not only is there sort of maybe less voting power in some of those areas, but the turnover in areas of say Dorchester and South Boston were such that when I looked at just the precinct level, uh, numbers, uh, I believe if I have this right, um, that Anissa Sabi George carried, not by an enormous amount, but carried the precinct where she lives. But the immediately adjacent precincts in her own Dorchester neighborhood went to Wu. Uh, so that, I mean, that just was sort of striking to me. I, I was at, I was actually at um, so before heading over to the to the uh, Wu event, I was I actually swung through the Kit Clark Apartments. I think that's the one you're referring to, right? The uh, the Catherine Clark Apartments uh, right by the Banshee uh, there. I, I picked up the the polling numbers and uh you know I, I had I had to do a double take uh because Wu won it's a double precinct and Wu won both precincts. I kept looking at the numbers and and I see Frank Frank Baker handily won. He's the local district city councilor there. Again, kind of an Anisa Sabi George ally and uh and sort of, you know, in the same 
definitely sort of more politically moderate mold. Yeah. And and that was kind of getting those results. And I that that's when I kind of knew is it, it wasn't it wasn't going to be uh, uh, close at all. It was going to be a woo blowout uh, after after seeing those numbers. Right. So, Yabu, what I mean, what did the sort of overarching what's the overarching kind of uh, message you took from from the outcome? It's a different city than it was even 10 years ago or even eight years ago when Marty Walsh ran um, that the people like me, people like who, who, uh, who were here during desegregation are a minority of Boston residents and Boston voters um, uh, that um, one, you know, I looked at the Washington post. Uh, they had a map, you know, they have a map of the United States. You can look at any census tract and see how it's changed. Um, so, Many of the precincts that were predominantly white have become more heterogeneous, more more black, more Latino, more Asian. Um, but also a lot of the the precincts in Roxbury and Ward 14, which goes from like the Grove Hall area into Mattapan, um, they've become more like a little less black and more Latino. Um, so, and I think what was most surprising to me is. Um, I'm sorry, I'm getting into the into the nerdy precinct uh, demographic weeds, but we're we're here for it, Yahoo. <laughs> um, uh, the the area in Hyde Park, uh, Fairmount and uh, Reedville, those two those two areas are now majority people of color. Uh, now they they came out heavily for Anissa, or you know you know somewhat strongly for Anissa, but um, I think the voting voter participation. I, I've, I have been focusing a lot on on you know, predominantly white areas like South Boston, but you know voter participation is kind of dropping everywhere in the city. Um, we've seen that it, you know even as the number of people of Boston residents is increasing, uh, newcomers of all races are less likely to likely to vote. I mean perhaps in Mattapan and Hyde Park because Haitian people who come here you know don't yet have citizenship. Uh, a lot of the numbers you see are young people who are not of voting age. Um, you know, the, certainly a lot of the immigration has been fueled by uh, D- Dominicans and Central Americans who don't come here with the right to vote. Um, uh, so, yeah, just a decrease in voter particip- participation everywhere. Um, and uh, as, at the same time that the, the, the population of the city is, is uh, increasing. And talk a little bit uh, about the appeal that Wu had uh, to the electorate. I've I've seen some some folks commenting that she managed to somehow appeal to kind of young left leaning activists, really eager to shake things up. But she didn't really, I think, as some people have put it, scare off necessarily more more moderate voters. Certainly, Asabi George had a hold on some chunk of those moderate voters, but. But Wu won lots of votes from people who might be considered more moderate or, you know, kind of, you know, sort of traditional sort of more liberal leaning Democrats, not not super lefty activists. Now, some maybe some critics said, you know, one criticism was that, you know, Wu was sometimes short on real specifics. So that can, you know, help you to sort of have a broader appeal. I mean, is that really what it was or is there something more to her ability to kind of have that kind of reach uh, across the electorate. Yeah, I think people really responded to her ideas. Um, Twenty years ago, and you know, throughout Boston history, like in the last hundred years, um, ethnicity was 
mattered way more than ideas, ethnicity and where a uh, candidate was from. And I think that equation is kind of flipped on its on its head, um, particularly because people don't have um, as strong a, um, a, a a connection to to uh, to their neighborhoods, um, not in the same way that people had, you, you know, uh, even 20 years ago in Boston, uh, and and also um, you know people the 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 electorate is more racially heterogeneous, so um, race doesn't matter as much. Um, and, uh, you know, she came with bold ideas. And I think that, that the electorate is way more in tune with um, voting for things like, you know, mitigating climate change, because we have a, a younger electorate, um, you know, uh, making the MBTA free. Um, the, the electorate is more progressive. Um, I think, you know, a lot of those, those changes have been, been happening, you know, sort of uh, gradually over the last uh, 20 years. And I mean, to that point, I think um, I talked earlier in the week with uh, Larry DeCara, the former city councilor and, you know, longtime watcher of city politics going back to, you know, the 70s. And he said, you know, without a doubt, she will be the most, as he put it, the most cerebral mayor we've had since Kevin White. And I think he meant, you know, she is somebody who really kind of trafficked in ideas and big bold, you know, kind of approaches to, to problems the city's facing. And I think that he's really right that, you know, we haven't seen that since, you know, since Kevin White left in the in the early 80s. We had a succession of mayors, I mean, with some variation that were, you know, that were much sort of operators kind of more closely to the close to the ground. I mean, Tom Menino famously just sort of, you know, dismissed the idea of broad vision as not relevant to running cities. So we are in for a very different kind of uh, leader in the city. Yeah, interestingly, you know, when she came in uh, in 2013, she was way more moderate than she is now. Uh, she was against rent control until, you know, even in 2019, when asked by JP progressives whether she would support it, she initially said she would not. Um, she was pushed by that group and sort of by... I think there's been a, an increase in grassroots activism. The progressive mass chapters in in, in Boston um, have really pushed things, as well as you know other groups like the Sunrise Movement, the 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 various uh, Black Lives Matter movements, such as For the People, um, have pushed uh, candidates like Wu to, to be, embrace more progressive ideals. And she also is going to have a more progressive council. Uh, it, it appears that way, given you know who got elected, um, that she will have political um, support on the council to to uh, um, and probably pressure from the council to to stick to that uh, progressive agenda. And so, talk a little again about, I mean, what that turning a little to the question of you know what do we know or think about how she will govern? She you know is she going to be you know, a disruptor or, you know, this radical change agent that I think, again, there's some segment of the folks who, who, who worked for her and put her into office really see her as that. And that's what they are hoping for. Or is that sort of a misread of someone who is more of a kind of savvy and strategic political player? Uh, I mean, I think as Yahoo said, there's been some evolution in her political makeup, I think. I mean, you know, if you go back, she worked for a consulting firm for a year after college. Um, and uh, it was eight years ago now, but some remember 
kind of her first move when she was first elected to the council was this kind of deal making with the uh, then South Boston City Councilor Bill Linehan that just had uh, liberal activists enraged where she promised him his uh, her vote uh, in the first, you know, her first act on the council for city council president. Um, I was going back and looking at some articles, not from that year, but then her first re-election of the council in 2015, there was, I was just reading a great article in the Globe uh, where she kind of had to go on sort of, you know, bended knee to different groups like the JP progressives, and they held back an endorsement. And as the Globe article put it, that, you know, one one condition for their endorsement was that she show sufficient contrition, and they didn't rule that she had done that. Uh, the Ward 5 committee in the Back Bay, which also was not happy with her vote, did end up giving her maybe a little bit grudgingly their endorsement that year. And it was interesting to see they also endorsed that same year Ayanna Presley and Anissa Asabi George, who I think won. That was her first uh, year that she won. So it was just interesting to go back and and see how the landscape looked back then. Um, and, and so, I mean, how do you how do you see her governing? In what mold will she be in? Or, you know, and, and will she, you know, disappoint some of the kind of activists that have seen in her, you know, kind of Elizabeth Warren-like, you know, fiery kind of disruptor? Or is she, you know, on the other hand, you know, she's got Tom Menino, who she worked for as an intern, as a mentor as well. Well, I think activists are, are you know, at some point are going to be disappointed. That's, that seems to be kind of part and parcel of being an activist. And, uh, and that kind of, you know, uh, purity test that sometimes comes into play, um, especially during the election season is why I'm, I'm happy to remain unaffiliated. Um, but in terms of kind of, uh, you know, what she's going to govern like, um, I, I think she's a very strategic uh, thinker. And, and uh, I think just from, from talking with her and talking with others, um, you know, I've, I've made this analogy before. It's not a perfect one because she, she doesn't, uh, she doesn't actually play chess. Uh, but I do think that, uh, you know, she walks into a room full of chess boards and she knows where every piece is and she knows what moves to make, um, on every single board. So it's, uh, you know, it, it's kind of, it's kind of staggering to, to kind of zoom out and, and, uh, you know, think, think about exactly how she's going to get to get to some of the policy proposals that, uh, that she's talked about. Uh, but, um, I think, I think I told you after one of the scrums, I, I had a conversation with, uh, Joe Aiello, um, who oversaw the, uh, MBTA oversight board. Um, so for six years, so he saw quite a few MBTA budgets and, and I was very curious to talk to him because, you know, it's the, the MBTA is this, this beast, uh, that's, that's, uh, often been drenched in red ink. And, uh, he, I want, I want to know why, why are you supporting Michelle Wu? And he said, um, you know, she's already changed the conversation on, on fair free uh, MBTA um, with, with, uh, with just pushing it. Uh, he said she brings people to the table who might disagree with her. Um, and the other thing was the strategic thinking. He said, and this is a paraphrase, he said, you know, if, if a fair free MBTA is a trip to Jupiter, Michelle Wu knows how to build the space program to get there, um, which, which was kind of struck me. And the, the one other thing, ironic thing I'll, I'll mention is that while I was on the phone with him, I was actually on the commuter rail um, heading home and getting chased through the train car for my fare, ironically. So um, I did pay. I did pay. <laughs> no, no free fare yet, right? No free fare yet. No, I had activated the, 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 which is the little, the little app thing, but they just, they hadn't seen it yet. So, but, um, 
but yeah, so I, I think that's kind of what, what we're going to see. She's a, she's a very strategic thinker and, you know, uh, there's, there's going to be activists on, on, on some sides that will be disappointed, but that's, that's going to happen in any sort of governing situation. Yeah. I think it's worth noting that uh, in the preliminary, she did not have the support of many black elected officials or Latino elected officials and also uh, community-based uh, building groups such as the Chinese Progressive Association, um, the Asian American Resource Workshop, Right to the City Vote, and, uh, and uh, Mijente, um, so representing Black, Latino, and Asian groups, they did not endorse her. They voted, uh, they, they endorsed uh, Kim Janey. Um, so I think she's going to get a good deal, I imagine, she's going to get a good deal of pressure from those groups because I don't think that there's a, a longstanding relationship with her. Um, so they're going to be pushing her um, to, you know, on issues like rent control. Um, she's got, she's, 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 um, you know, promised a lot and she has a lot to deliver on. Right. And I think as the rent control and the T are the two big examples that kept coming up during the election. Um, I mean, these are big promises she made, big issues that, that kind of captured the imagination of voters that really depend on state government, the legislature, and the governor for sign-off. I think rent control seems particularly uh, questionable, whether she's going to get much traction on that. I think the T thing, and maybe Gin's point is an interesting one, and the fact that Joe Aiello, the former uh, head of the MBTA control board, ended up endorsing her is is something where, again, she's a strategic thinker. She's already made clear that the first priority is going to be focusing on free fare for buses. And and for one thing, the price tag on that is way less than kind of this shoot the moon, uh, you know, have the entire system go free. And it also just hits on a lot of the issues. There's almost begins to be, I'm not trying to be Pollyanna-ish, a little convergence with, you know, Anissa Asabi-George said, you know, we should be looking at targeted, you know, fair support for low income riders and the sort of things that, you know, are, seem, again, more incremental. Well, sort of free fare on buses is exactly that. I mean, that is a population that tends to be more low income. It's also kind of a, a, a change that really can affect the delivery of the service. You know, fair collection uh, really impedes the speed of bus trips in a way that it doesn't really interfere with the subway system. So there's a lot of reason to think she may kind of just put a lot of her eggs in that basket and and see, you know, what she can do. And she has already these examples in Boston and some other cities where this has begun to happen. You know, we had her on the podcast a few years ago when she just was first talking about this. And it, again, seemed uh, to use the term that came up over and over in the campaign this year, very pie in the sky like when she was talking about free fare. But we've seen in the years since then, that in in a lot of ways she was ahead of the curve in terms of where thinking is going nationally and even in Boston. And next year, uh, voters in Massachusetts will likely uh, vote on the uh, fair share amendment, so-called millionaires tax. If that passes, it could raise a couple billion dollars, um, which would be dedicated to education, K through 12, and public higher ed, as well as transportation, which includes roads and bridges, but also the MBTA. So uh, the money could actually be there um, as soon as next year uh, to, to, um, to offset the loss of revenue from fares. Yeah, which would be pretty interesting. And in terms of just, just her overall approach to governing, I'm struck again that if you sort of pull out sort of the two most prominent sort of mentors and the people she's mentioned in her speech uh, and that she's talked about a lot, one is Elizabeth Warren and the other is Tom Menino. 
and you know two very different figures and i guess i'm struck by the fact that um i mean she's taking the job that menino had and i wonder if she will you know have to operate somewhat more in that mode i mean both warren and ayana presley who she's also you know given a lot of shout outs to they both have the kind of luxury you might say of you know trying to sort of shake up the system you know as sort of advocates slash legislators they don't you know they don't actually kind of we're not in charge of running something that's sort of the big difference that i think you know makes me wonder if she's going to end up you know sort of veering more in some ways toward the sort of pragmatic uh you know approach that menino took with you know again not you know she's not going to be a carbon copy of him in any way but i just think that that's a big difference yeah, I, I think, well, well, I guess two two things on that, just from what I saw on the campaign trail. One was, there was a forum on uh, uh, Morningstar Baptist uh, with her, with her um, and Asabi George. And, and uh, you know, Wu, Wu was basically told like, well, you've got time constraints. You, you can't, you got to answer this question. And she said, okay, I'm going to do some nitty gritty and some big. Uh, and I think that kind of summed up a, a kind of where, where she was trying to steer the campaign towards, you know, I think she was having the, the, the talking about the big ideas, but she was also trying to thread it with the, the kind of like talking about city sewers. I'll say that the thing, um, the thing that struck me at when I was on the campaign trail with, with Wu on a Saturday, there was a Charlestown house party and, uh, and permitting the permitting process came up for the city. And, uh, and, and she said, you know, like the, the building inspectors are uh, overworked and understaffed. So they are responding to, the people who are bugging them the most about about permits and and all that stuff and, and she said you know if we if we hire a dozen or so administrative assistants for these building inspectors that could quadruple their productivity um, which kind of it was a very granular answer uh, uh, that that kind of uh, struck me that you know she she is able to focus both on the small things that can have a big impact a big ripple effect uh, while at the same time talking about something something pie in the sky potentially like a fair free mbta and and she hit on that again in her in her victory speech you know the the you know we can sort of have both both that kind of dual focus of very close to the ground and and the big vision ideas i mean i'm struck by how little attention maybe that's true in general of campaigns i mean people are sort of speaking more thematically but i was just struck by how little we heard about you know, ideas that the candidates had, or certainly from Wu about, you know, kind of real basic city services, that just didn't seem to be the thing that was, that was kind of animating the campaign. But I think you're right that, you know, she, again, going back to her background, when she worked as an intern under Menino, she talked to me about how she was sort of put on the task of looking at issues around school bus route, you know, logistics, or, you know, she's got a big interest in licensing issues for small businesses. So I think that's, you know, that's a whole, a big dimension of what, what the mayor does. And, and I think it's also an area where, you know, there's room for a lot of innovation. It's, it's nuts and bolts stuff, but, uh, you know, there's a lot of cutting edge thinking and sort of practical doing that, that could, she could bring to bear, depending also on who she brings in. Um, one other last thing is, I mean, it seems the biggest hire she's going to make, apart from filling out her own staff, is, this uh, is the police commissioner. I mean, we don't have, we have an acting police commissioner. She signaled just now this week after the election that she's ready to kind of work with the school superintendent. So talk about whether there could be another change there. Seems uh, that's not going to happen. So the other, you know, the biggest job in city government, other biggest job is the police commissioner. What do you guys look for there? Do you think she is going to sort of have her sights set on looking outside the city 
uh, which a lot of, you know, kind of uh, reform activists have called for. I don't have a clear sense of what she's going to do, but, um, you know, so there's also sort of a long list of reforms that people want to see enacted that uh, have really evaded us since, you know, uh, 1992 or 93, when the the Saint the the uh, Saint Clair Commission report came out, looking for you know that that had a raft of uh, reforms, including uh, independent oversight of the police, which you know we finally have. Um, she's going to have to make that real, like you know, uh, uh, it really hasn't yet been tested. Um, the the uh, oversight board, uh, the new oversight board. Um, She's going, to, people are going to be looking at her to um, settle lawsuits that Black and Latino officers have um, filed against the city and won uh, judgments in, and then the city has like appealed them to death. So, you know, people are going to look like Black officers and Latino officers are going to be looking for settlements, uh, women uh, who've been discriminated against within the police department. So people people in the Black community want to see a more diverse police department that reflects the communities, uh, you know, Latinos and Asians are certainly underrepresented on the force. Um, and, you know, people want to see a police force that responds to the community in, in, in a sympathetic way rather than, you know, uh, acting as a sort of outside or, you know, uh, occupying force. Well, we are, uh, it's, it's sort of fun to speculate and we don't really have to wait that long to begin to see what she is going to do, the transition uh, uh, this time around is uh, very short because we've been, uh, you know, the city's been run by an acting mayor. So um, Michelle Wu takes office in, you know, just a little bit uh, over a week and we'll begin to get some answers to, to all these questions. So uh, I want to thank you both, Yawu Miller and Gin Dumptious, for, for talking with us today on the podcast. Thanks for having me. Good to be here. And thank you all for listening. I'm Michael Jonas at Commonwealth Magazine. We'll see you next week.